0: Amber, what are you drinking today? Oh,
1: Amanda, today, although we are not sponsored by them, although we could be, I guess, I'm drinking Dos Equis. Dos Dos.
0: Equis? Yeah. There's a million things that I would have guessed that you were drinking tonight, and that one would not have been it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I've ever seen you drink a Dos Equis. Dos
2: (laughs) Dos Equis. Ever. Well, they have some pretty catchy commercials a couple they of do, years ago.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> if you were my mother, I would expect it. I'm not sure. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if I should feel good or bad about that. <laughs> uh, I mean, she just likes that kind of beer. I don't like
1: dark beer. So that's why it works for me. Plus, yeah. it was in the refrigerator. So,
0: yeah you sound like me now because i try different things we talked about that a little bit last week too when we were doing the interview like i try different things and then i either like think they're okay or i don't hate them so then they just live in my refrigerator and so then i open my Mm -hmm. refrigerator and there's like 42 different beverages in there (laughs) well
1: speaking of trying new things do you have anything that you're drinking today that you're
0: trying i do i do so Last week, we tried the 22 Salute Vodka, Uh and Uh so this week, we are trying the 22 Salute Fig and Vanilla Bourbon. Oh. So, we went whiskey tonight. Is it smooth? It, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Is the bottle gone? (laughs) No, the bottle is not gone. It's, I just, I just popped the cork right before this podcast. They call it bourbon with a purpose, just like their vodka is vodka with a purpose. And so some Mm -hmm. of their proceeds go back to, I'd be lying if I said I knew where it went, but some kind of veteran organization or help or something along the lines of 22 lives a day. So hence the name, 22 Salute. And they're a great organization. They're veteran-owned. They're veteran-ran. They are a small distillery. They ship to 39 states in the country which is how I got mine. It was shipped up here to my door. I didn't even have mm-hmm. to go get it. So if you're interested, if anyone is interested, check out their website and see if it's one of the 39 states that they ship to. I'm sure they're working on more, but I'm sure some of them don't. I would I would think that like. Uh, New York, well, I don't know if New York was on there because
1: New York is weird about shipping yeah, alcohol.
0: There's some mm-hmm. states that are, that are,
1: they have their because own. There's there. a delicious wine from like rochester buffalo region winery yeah. like that i can't get because you can't even buy it on amazon you have to get it from the but they won't ship because new york's super weird about
0: yeah this i didn't i wasn't able to get on amazon but i got it through i think Barmaids maybe barmaid mm-hmm. something like that where it's like a shipping and alcohol shipping company the only catch is that i myself or someone of age had to be here to legally sign for the delivery of the package so that's
1: what happened when i got the mead Mm. from the other veteran
0: yeah was it is it four brothers something like that yeah 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 yeah, you have to actually like sign for it so that they can say that someone 21 plus received the package they don't care what you do with it after that but you know (laughs) (laughs) you gotta be 21 to get the package from the ups driver (laughs) even if you are friends with him because he brings you so many packages and he still has to have your signature. So, but you know, everyone ships to North Dakota because we need booze up here to keep us warm. Y'all need a lot up there. Well, with that being said,
1: welcome to this episode of Veterans Drinking Vodka.
0: We believe that every veteran has a story to tell and we are here to tell them. We have found that being a service member was easy, but being a veteran can be very hard. In this episode, we are talking to Aaron Munasami. Did she do it? Was that right? Yes! Hi, ah, yay! Aaron
1: served in the United States Navy from 2001 to 2009 as an air traffic controller. Whoop, whoop. That's our people! Yay! How are you doing today, Aaron? And what are you drinking?
2: I am doing great today, and since it was veterans drinking vodka. She's gonna be the only one. traditional. <laughs> she got the vodka drink. drinking vodka <laughs> with a splash of cranberry. There you okay. go. Not traditional. I do have a plan B. What is that? I have a little dodo filled with rum. With oh, the dodo. <laughs> I I didn't know what it was when you first held it up. <laughs> and I got this little dodo from Mauritius,
0: ooh,
2: which a cool is bottle. where I met my husband when I was in Diego Garcia. So nice. I know there's a lot of veterans that have been to Diego Garcia, but I got this little dodo filled with rum. So
0: yeah, so they know he about that. Dodo, veteran.
2: The the dodo rum. You always gotta have a plan B as a veteran.
0: Yes, absolutely, (laughs) absolutely, always a plan B. Hey, check this out.
2: Twenty-two.
0: Just in case, plan
1: B. (laughs) I
3: don't even know if we
1: have any. I'm looking at all the liquor. Well, you have a plan B, even if it's not vodka. I do have a plan B. It's all over there.
2: (laughs) not that that type of plan. Actually, with
1: me, water. So yes. There we go. There we go. Amber and Amanda here. We want to tell you about our good friends over at Scale Executive
0: Search. Scale Executive Search is a veteran-owned and operated executive search firm serving aerospace, tech, and startups. They've
1: managed to set themselves apart by not only understanding the job market, but also ensuring their candidates and clients are invested in not only their careers, but also themselves and their families.
0: Where are you from and can you tell us how your story started?
2: So I am from Cleveland, Ohio. And I joined the Navy in 2001 after graduating high school. So initially, I wanted to be a doctor. And once I saw how much medical school would be, I decided, let me go to the Navy so I can get a little bit of my school paid for. So I joined the Navy in June of 2001. And I attended boot camp in Great Lakes, Ohio. I'm sorry, Great Lakes, Illinois.
0: <laughs> Any of you that have been following my story, you would know that I also joined the Navy in June of 2001. Mm-hmm. So, something special about our guest today is that she is my longest running military friend. Yes. And we met day one in boot camp. And then we discovered we were both going to be. Have we said what you are yet? Oh yeah, we did. Air traffic controllers. We yes. discovered we were randomly two air traffic controllers in the uh-huh. same boot camp division. So we went to boot camp. We went to a school, and then somehow we both <laughs> ended up at our first duty station together. Aaron is is a super special guest for for me personally today. for me
1: too
3: yeah
0: and she gets to meet (laughs) my my other forever navy friend amber like worlds collide here we go (laughs) yeah all right we can continue now
1: so before we before we get into all those duty stations after you left amanda because i'm sure after washington Mm -hmm. y'all went your separate ways what made you decide to uh be an air traffic controller
2: so I had two options. Um the first option was air traffic controller, the second option was quartermaster. So I called my uncle who was in the navy at the time and I presented him with the two options and he said, "Niece, definitely you need to be an <laughs> air traffic controller." <laughs> and so he told me that I would have a lot better career options once I left the navy if I decided to do air traffic controller. But the only catch was, is that I had to do a five-year enlistment instead of a four-year enlistment. So I was kind of on the fence with that, but I wanted to initially make the Navy a career. So I decided doesn't even matter. I'll do the five years.
3: And then Cheers it so five five Five-year
2: oh
1: my
0: enlistment. My- last week. Look at her glass. It's so sparkly.
2: It is very-, very sparkly.
0: I like that. It's a mermaid. It's got mermaid vibes.
2: Yes, for sure.
0: I think we kind of skipped around, though. Um, can we backtrack just a little bit and talk about how your story started?
2: Yeah, because I don't want to. People are like, wait, you don't even know where you went to boot camp at? The vodka is definitely taking <laughs> You went to boot camp in Great Lakes, Ohio.
0: <laughs> that happens sometimes with old friends. We get excited. We start talking. Yes,
2: ass. definitely cool. catching up. Uh, So basically, I didn't want to have a a whole bunch of debt. And so I decided, let me go to the Navy. I talked with family members. I had the recruiters come to my house. They convinced my mom. They convinced my grandmother that it was the best thing since sliced bread for me to go to the Navy. I had my uncle trying to convince them that it was the best thing to do. And so I took my first plane ride to Great Lakes, Illinois.
1: My first and, plane ride was to Great Lakes, too.
2: <laughs> Heck yeah. And funny story, while I was on my way to the airport, because we couldn't just go in a regular car. We went in the limousine to the airport. <laughs> oh <my. laughs> so it, they just had us just be like, be oh, is, in Cleveland. what are we going to be doing in the night? This is going to be perfect. <laughs> like, we're just yeah. going to be riding in the limousines, and we're just going to be going wherever we need to go. And so I went to the airport and I actually saw a hometown hero, a hometown superstar. Well, he was a national star. Gerald Levert was at the airport. So we pull up in our limousine and Gerald Levert is looking over his shoulder to see who's also pulling up in the limousine. And it's just and a so bunch of kids going to the Navy. Yeah, just a whole there's a couple of kids going to boot camp in Great Lakes, but you never know, you know, could have right, been a
3: superstar right. in there.
0: That's yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs> to to if someone death. was there to take his shine, and they were
2: <laughs> <laughs> like we're going to Great Lakes to become air traffic controllers eventually. So
0: that's right. As long as we pass the psychological exam and the testing. And, oh, we're going to throw September 11th in there, too. Boom. Good luck.
2: So, I know we're skipping around, but September 11th, I don't know where you were, but we were in Pensacola. Mm-hmm. We were waiting. I was waiting to go to school, and I don't remember if you classed I was up.
0: In, I I had just classed up. We were in week one. Okay. It was painting
2: parking the parking spaces at echo barracks at the time when (laughs) the planes hit in new york and they told us they were screaming and telling us to come inside we were standing in echo barracks in the lobby and we saw everything going on and that's when we knew our lives had completely changed and it was like for a second it was like What did we just sign up for? Because now we are definitely going to be at war right now. (laughs)
0: right? Because we signed up during a Mm peacetime. So when we said, like, I signed up to give money for college, to see the world, to like do all these cool things. Mm -hmm. And then everything changed in a moment. Mm -hmm. And as students fresh faced in the military, we had no, we had no idea what was going on. And bless their hearts, man, our command staff and our instructors and everything did everything they could to like, because they didn't know what was going on either, because it was, you know, they had been serving in peacetime. So they were in Pensacola Mm -hmm. chilling, teaching a bunch of chick jacks how to control airplanes. (laughs) And so they had to figure out real quick, like how to manage that and how to Mm -hmm. manage us. Essentially, mm-hmm. because we're looking at them like what do we do now?
2: Right. We actually joined at a very critical time, yes. pretty much in history, because we joined in June. We had just completed boot camp. We mm-hmm. came down with our orders and our fresh little cotton uniforms, and yeah, we're ready to go. We're in the navy and we're looking for cans of spinach because we think we Popeye, and then all of a sudden.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every it was 9 we were just getting into military life as we knew it. And we got up to Whidbey Island and it was soon after we got there. I think like and we weren't there very long. And then it was like shocking off maybe what, like a month or two into checking into Naval Station Whidbey Island. We didn't know what was going on.
2: And hey, even in 2005 to 2006, when I was in Diego Garcia, we still had a lot going yeah. on. There was, because I was
0: deployed in 2005 overseas, so Mm
2: -hmm.
0: you were in Diego, and I was in unknown parts of the ocean during that Mm -hmm. time, and so 2005, we were on the front line when all that stuff went down in Somalia, I don't think we got anything we expected out of the Navy, (laughs) (laughs) to put it in a nutshell, like, things just kept (laughs) happening, so... Like you left with me and went to Diego and I left with me and went to the USS Tarawa. And so we got mm-hmm. on the Tarawa. Next thing you know, we're deployed overseas. We're doing some cool stuff. And then we were on track to go up into the med when they shot that missile at the, was it the Saipan? I don't remember which LHA, mm-hmm. LHD they shot that missile at from Turk. I want to say it was Turkey. Mm-hmm.
2: I don't remember exactly the details. I don't even know. If I'm and if we do say it, say it, we'll have to kill people. So yeah, we don't to really we're not. Yeah, so we're
0: gonna we're gonna <laughs> guess here. You know, stuff stuff started happening after that random incident that might have happened in Turkey or might have happened in I don't know one of those countries over there. People started reacting like it was the USS Cole all over again. So mm-hmm. thankfully, like sometimes in the Middle East, their weapons don't work as well as ours do which is a common occurrence but so they missed they missed the boat with their surface to air missile but it mm-hmm. it changed everything so we were on our way up into the Mediterranean to do exercises and we were told prior to getting there that we were going to just like be living the life in the Mediterranean we had like three port calls planned like we had all mm-hmm. this stuff going on and then that happened Yeah, we, we sat in the Mediterranean ocean floating, looking at the (laughs) lights of Egypt for like six weeks or something crazy like that. So, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on over there in 05 too. So uh, Mm -hmm. it was wild. It's been a wild ride.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: All right. So speaking of, of that, we've, we've hit a little bit on it now, I guess. What were your (laughs) duty stations during your time in?
2: So they only have one boot camp, and that's Great Lakes. Because yeah. I know that people are like, oh, I went to Orlando and I went to San Diego. <laughs> oh, we went to, Great Lakes. Oh, we went to <laughs> Great Lakes. We went to Great Lakes.
0: We went to and old so,
2: Great Lakes too. Like the buildings that we had
0: to live in in Great Lakes don't even exist anymore. Uh-uh. Oh my! Yeah. Were <laughs> you Amber? Did you get to? Did you have new barracks there, or were yeah, you still the yeah. old ones? You were still Those in the old ones. ones. Yep. Okay. In the last integrated
1: division, oh,
3: oh, yeah,
1: we were in well, me, than me than. and my brother sister
0: division were the last two. Oh, wow, well.
3: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, we were in. I don't think it was an option in 2001 to not be in an integrated division. As a I better. think because more chicks
1: started joining the navy,
0: yeah, so then they had so more, they had enough to make their own divisions
1: instead of, yeah, in 20 when <laughs> the females really start joining. We yeah. should know this. I don't know.
0: <laughs> I, I don't know either. We just talked about it. Erin and I were just trying to keep our heads above water when we joined. <laughs> we didn't know what so, was We were just rolling with it.
2: Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to Great Lakes and then I went to Pensacola for a school. And then I went to Wivy Island, Washington. And then Diego Garcia, the British Indian Ocean Territory. And then I went back to Pensacola to teach at the schoolhouse. And that's where I ended my. That's Navy. right. I couldn't
0: remember where you finished, but yeah, I remember that now.
2: Yep. I went back to the schoolhouse on my last tour.
0: So then you were responsible for all the chick kids coming through there. Mm-hmm.
2: You know what? That is one of the main reasons, unfortunately, that I got out of the Navy because I just didn't feel good. I was like. We just sent anybody to the fleet right now. I was like, "That's scary." I can't be held responsible for this. (laughs) Right? I do feel like we sent a lot of people that I feel like they weren't ready to, or they were not qualified, or didn't have the mindset to be air traffic controllers. They were just to the fleet. through. Yeah, because it was a it was a numbers game. I feel, but you know, and I.
0: And Amber could probably attest to that too. Like I feel that on the other end, cause we were getting them between the Tarawa and Naval station, North Island. Like we
3: mm-hmm.
0: we had some people coming through there that, uh, should not have been talking to airplanes. They it's were not- scared to key up. <laughs> <laughs> I thought was was they people- probably shouldn't have been in the navy to begin with. But yeah, yeah uh, in addition to talking. I am about-
1: like there. I have people's faces in my brain right now. I will not <laughs> mention any of them. But yes, yes. <laughs> and, but we also had people who were like first class that should never been air traffic. Either. <laughs> yeah.
2: Anyone it wasn't a job for the faint of heart. It definitely no, it was, was not, not so, a job for the faint of heart. Not at all. Yeah. Whether really. a civilian or whether you were in the military, it just wasn't.
0: There's some wild stories that can go with being an air traffic controller. I don't even
1: <laughs> I want to talk so much crap right now, and I will not. No,
2: we <laughs> we're
1: live. We're going to be on good behavior today, Amber. We are. Mm-hmm. I said I will not. <laughs> I just, yeah, yeah. Everyone had a different air traffic controller experience. Yeah.
2: Yes,
0: but when it comes down to it, we're we we're all kind of assholes.
2: I would say that we were cocky. I, I would I would definitely we say that. What we our were uniforms, trained, and stress, what a lot
0: of people don't right. understand is, we were trained to be that way.
2: Mm-hmm. Like
0: that was part of our molding and evolution into being fleet ready sailors as air traffic controllers, because our responsibility went against everything that we had been taught up to that point, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're taught to like respect officers and this is the rank structure and all of that. And then they throw you into air traffic control where now it's your responsibility to not only tell an officer what to do, but to make them realize that their life depends on doing what you tell them to do. And so to look at it from that perspective, we Had to be that way because we had to take their cockiness as officers and knock it down a notch to be able to keep their lives safe.
2: That's very true, very true.
0: So that's where a lot of that comes from, and it—I don't know about you guys, but it gets me into quite a bit of trouble in life now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would—I would definitely agree with that. Right now, it doesn't go away. (laughs) I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. Mm -hmm. So out of
0: all of those duty stations, which one was
2: your favorite? Each one has a special piece in my heart, I would say. Yeah. So my first duty station is where I pretty much learned how to work. I learned how to be a sailor. I learned how to be a good friend. I learned everything about being an adult because it was pretty much the first time I had been on my own. Yeah. And so I was connecting with so many different people. I was learning about life. So I would say that Wibby kind of was the foundation. And then when I went to Diego, I really it was it was quick, but it seemed like because that tour was only a year, but it seemed like I was there forever. <laughs> and so That's
1: they only ever let you stay for a
2: year. <laughs> yeah, because I kind of got pregnant on Diego. I kind of <laughs> got engaged on Diego. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was a, a lot that was going on was in Diego. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, definitely. But I actually felt that I had—I knew I had a career. I knew I had a job to do. I felt like, okay, Webby Island was, a, I had a little bit like I was grounded in Webby, kind of really trying to find my footing. And then I went to Diego. I was like, "Oh, I was really I was a control tower, you know. I was a, got my C, my CTO, and then I was able to be the flight planning branch chief. And so and you didn't I have learned, shit to do <laughs> right." <laughs> <laughs> Except for talk to the Aussies and uh, a couple other people that was going to launch tankers and bombers towards, you know, enduring freedom. But right, right. I really met a lot of good people too. I mean, that's just one thing about the military. Just in general, is that the sheer amount of genuine people that you were able to meet. I mean, just the friendships that have been lasting. Just. You know, demonstrated by our years of knowing each other for all these years is just, it's just simply amazing. Yeah. You got people from all walks of life that you put together and everybody is just that, whether it's the job or whether it's, you know, the the military service, but you have that connection with each other and everybody kind of rubs off on each other. You know, I kind of you start kind of adopting and seeing things like you know we talked about that culture. You know, it was like uh, we really had a lot of you know I grew up primarily in the inner city, but it was just really good to see individuals that came from all walks of life just pretty much vibing with each other. You know, yeah, we all yeah. everybody getting their civvy clothes, and you like oh. Okay. Okay, now I see the differences.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Okay, okay. Right, right. Because, like, I remember from our time at Whidbey Island, like, you came from the inner city, and Mm -hmm. I came from, like, Hippieville, Apache Junction, Arizona. So, like, we Mm -hmm. would go out, and I'd be in, like, some patchwork corduroys (laughs) and, like, some crazy looking (laughs) boots, and you'd be in, like, a cocktail dress to go to Kmart. <laughs> like we'd be going to Kmart. Like it was cool. And and we didn't care, like no one cared. Like we didn't care. We, we were just friends. Like we had just uh-huh. made the connection. And so I was like, I'm gonna go with this weird girl that likes to overdress in sparkles. And you're like, I'm gonna go with this weird girl that thinks that she should have been born in 1962. And then we just roll out. <laughs> uh-huh. And it's, it's it worked. Yeah. And it worked. <laughs> and it worked and then we'd throw in the mix like
2: shoot everyone else that was up there i think everyone was a little bit different yeah we threw in a native american from wyoming we threw in yeah. kids from cali we threw in yeah. people from you know um schenectady we had a guy yeah, from
0: texans we had rob pony was our cajun king man like he mm-hmm. let us, everyone know that cajun was his roots and and he, he fed us all the time, which was cool. The
2: rest <laughs> his soul. And he used to call me trans because I filled out a uh tuition assistance form and my middle name is Trinace. And so Rob Tony had this conversion band. That he would be riding around there, and so we were coming back from a training, and all you hear is Rob Tony yelling, "Trans, trans." I'm <laughs> like, "It's not trans, it's trane."
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, he was absolutely one of my most favorite people up there.
2: Yeah, for sure. He, he was a really great leader, and he was a really a really good guy to look up to as a as a junior sailor.
0: Absolutely, and just just as a person in general, like he just had. Mm-hmm. He had the kindest soul, but like mm-hmm. you didn't cross like you knew not to cross him and you knew to to do what needed to be done when it came to what he needed done.
2: So yeah, and he just encouraged you. He encouraged you absolutely. to be. And help.
0: Absolutely. And he he came back and checked on us throughout the years, too. So mm-hmm. that's that's the mark of a leader right there that doesn't ever mm-hmm. forget. So I'm glad we could talk about him a little bit because he was. Mm-hmm. A good so you're from Cleveland. You got yep. to spend some time on the West Coast. I know mm-hmm. that you have, I don't know how much East Coast time you have, but I know you got Florida time, which we're going to count as East Coast right now.
2: So, And you know what? When it was Florida. time for orders, the Navy decided that they would do, they didn't want to do a, a TD, a permanent move to the East Coast. They would rather send me overseas to Diego Garcia. <laughs> store all my personal property including my vehicle and let me go to diego i'm like i could have just went to virginia right right no they
0: you needed to go to diego for a purpose
2: right so that i can get so i can get married yeah,
0: that's right <laughs> and create your beautiful family yes um, amber do you want to ask the million dollar question today Aaron,
1: east coast or west coast
2: Definitely West Coast. Cheers. West, West Side because West Coast. Cheers.
0: <laughs> I think. What would you say? Like one out of every ten people say East Coast. Yes, and it's for like a reason, not for like the they
1: only Coast. ever went to the East
0: Coast or like their family <laughs> lives on the or East from Coast.
1: From there, they wanted to be stationed there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no one has ever been like the East Coast because I like their vibe better. Hmm it's yeah. always for some other reason but then people are like west coast that place is awesome <laughs>
2: <laughs> i would definitely say west coast even though i wasn't on the east coast but i mean from everything that i've heard i definitely yeah. west coast i, I would west, say you yeah, know we we west, traveled and we did it. our things up coast. and down <laughs> up and down the west coast yeah, and you know yeah. between <laughs> san diego and washington and all that yeah. good stuff i would definitely have to say west coast west coast
0: agreed If you like our podcast, subscribe on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, Amazon, or wherever you choose to listen to your podcasts. Also, leave us a review and let us know what you think. We have already been telling stories and and chatting away, Uh but...
3: Tons of stories.
0: Right, there's tons of stories to tell. What is one of your favorite sea stories? Well, I
2: wasn't out to see, but <laughs> Me, I've been thinking no about idea. this <laughs> all, They're all day. Stories—they're all sea stories. It's fine. Yeah. So I think that I I'm gonna keep it PG. Okay. <laughs> okay. And I was like, so what can I, you know, incorporate for Amanda and I? So. You know, we thought we were just a business because we can go to Vancouver, Washington, go to Vancouver, British Columbia, and Victoria, because we thought, you know, we're 19, 20 years old, so now we can drink. And so I think one of the funniest stories is you and I running across the street in Vancouver. Vancouver. So, you know how they have posts, and then they have the chains that go to each post. And I'm trying to think, because I want to say this was morning or midday, so I don't think that we started drinking at this particular point in time. Well, I'm I'm
0: pretty sure that
2: uh, this happened on our own volition. Okay, I think it was. So, we're just running across the street, which means we were jaywalking in Canada, which is fine, you know. As long as you don't um, get caught, you're good to go. So, we're running, and we're running, and we that there's these posts and there's chains to go from one post to the next and for some particular reason we didn't lift our legs up (laughs) to get over the chains so we decided that we were going to just fall on the ground outside of the mall and we just we just kept going we just we just let it go and so I fell first and so I get up like So Amanda comes running behind me, and Amanda falls, and Amanda don't get up. (laughs) Amanda is on the ground, holding her knees, hollering ow, ow. Like for twenty minutes, and everybody's coming up the mall minutes. just cracking up because we were laughing so hard. <laughs> it probably was about twenty minutes, and then Marcus started getting embarrassed <laughs> because we're laying on the ground laughing, Both of us just laughing on the ground in Vancouver, and we just don't know why. Yeah, and I don't know if we were drinking yet, but I mean, it, we we very well could have been.
0: We we could have, we could have. I've always been Oh yeah, over. I mean we had
2: tons and tons and tons of stories, oh, but that one always gives me a little chuckle every time <laughs> I think about it. That we were just running we and we just fell. we just didn't get up. Like we just was laying on the ground, just laughing, like <laughs> belly, laughing. <laughs> belly laughing. Like it was like we just went like, like I think we oh. couldn't get up because we were laughing so hard. Like Saturday Night Live, deaf comedy jam, <laughs> improv. <laughs> oh, Netflix, do you that remember it the same live. way, Amanda? Do you? Yeah, remember she flew over the,
0: the thing, and then I was so worried about her that I went to save her, and I fell too. So much happened in Vancouver.
2: What goes on in Vancouver stays in Vancouver. That's right.
0: That's right. But when we were stationed <laughs> at Whidbey Island, you could go back and forth freely to Canada with just your military ID. Which too- is a little ironic
1: due to 9-11 having just heard. Yeah. Turned.
0: Yeah, yeah that's figured, very true. I guess they figured if we were American military, we were okay. Uh,
2: and I remember going all the way to Diego Garcia on the with a military ID. I didn't have a passport until maybe Couple years after I got out of the navy is when I got my first passport. So yeah, yeah. yeah I just went I over don't. there, just willy nilly, was just in Singapore and Japan, just like, hey, I'm in the, I'm in the navy. Yeah, you know. I still don't.
0: I still have not gotten a passport in my life. Like I traveled the whole world on my military ID. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and then, I'm in the
2: navy. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm, the, I'm with you know, the navy. Look,
0: it's cat card. It works for everything. Mm-hmm. Right. And they, they did too. They accepted it everywhere we went. No one ever questioned it. That's because we had a rich uncle sugar.
2: Our rich uncle Sam. He he just had
0: control. Yeah. Uncle they they said, Oh, you know Uncle Sam? All right, we got you. They like American money. They didn't care if you had a passport. I tell (laughs) people all the time, like, you don't need a passport to get out of the country. You just need it to come back. Yeah.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) If you want to come back to the States, then you should probably have Mm -hmm. a
2: passport. (laughs) Yeah. I would agree.
0: Yeah. Cause You can get around it everywhere else. Like they might have customs or whatever, but you go to some of those countries, you slip them a thousand dollars, they're gonna let you do whatever you want.
2: Yeah. I would definitely agree with that. Just traveling a couple last year. Yeah. Yeah. It was,
0: yeah. Some stuff was
2: a little bit a little bit fuzzy. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, if you would like to contact Amber or myself for any further questions. Or for any reason at all, we can be found on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Veterans Drinking Vodka. You can also email us at veteransdrinkingvodka at gmail.com or check out our website, veteransdrinkingvodka.com.
1: In case anyone was confused about who we are. Everything
3: is <laughs> Veterans Drinking Vodka.
1: Like Amanda said, you can reach out to us pretty much anywhere. and. We would love to hear from you. If you're interested in being a guest on our podcast and telling your story, you can send us an email or a direct message.
0: All right. So eventually, though, we have to take a turn and get out of the service. And Mm -hmm. how was your transition from being in the military to becoming a veteran?
2: So my transition initiated because I had two small children. And so I had already did my overseas tour. I had already done my uh, instructor duty. And it was like, okay, now you're going to have to go to sea. And I was like, do I want to go to sea? You know, I've been married, you know, briefly. I have these two little kids. My kids are 15 months apart. And so I was like, eh, is this what I really want to do? Because I had already earned my bachelor's degree. And so I was looking at obtaining a master's degree. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and make the choice to go ahead and get out. So it was a big decision, a very big decision. So I talked to my husband about it. He was like, well, it's kind of whatever you want to do. So I ended up getting out in 2009 and I regretted it. What for, month? Hmm? What month? I got out in June. Okay. Because I got and- out in December
1: 2009. So I'm going to say, at least I have the same year with you when you got out. hmm <laughs> have- So I got out in June
2: <laughs> of 2009. And I was in Florida State. And that was at the time to where they capped unemployment. And it was like $275 Ooh. a week. So I was like...
0: Like, this is not okay one. hold on
2: yeah i'm living in poverty at this particular point in time because you know i'm thinking like i'm gonna get out i'm gonna get my unemployment i'm gonna get me another job you, you know and I'm everyone gonna- talks about that but no one talks about how hard that is uh mm-hmm. to go
0: from having that steady guaranteed income to mm-hmm.
2: real mm-hmm. life and trying to figure out what to do next Yes. And I will be lying if I didn't say that it was a lot of sleepless nights initially when I got out, because I was like, okay, I didn't make the right choice. I should have stayed in. I should have went, you know, I should, I could have just figured it out.
0: Well, and at that um, point for you, your husband was not, he's not from the United States, correct? Mm-hmm. So, nope. so you he had, came
2: over on a fiance visa.
0: So you had all and, that going on too. You were the sole
2: provider for your family. And there so were a was, lot of options. Right. So he was working for Escambia County at the time. He was working for the water department for Emerald Coast Authority. <laughs> you That's, got married there? It's yes, in, ma- I, did. It, I got him. We got married in Escambia County too. We'll talk about Escampia County later on <laughs> <laughs> about their jury selection. Cause I'm upset with them
3: uh-uh. right now.
2: Um, So he was working. And so I was like, okay, well I'll get $275 a week, which was, you know, nothing compares to what we were used to making in the military with the BAH and BAS and all the benefits and everything. And so, You know, we had the starter home. And so I started working for the U.S. Census Bureau because, of course, it was time for the census. So I did that and I was able to make pretty, pretty good money. And then I applied to become an emergency communications dispatcher. And so I worked for Escambia County as the 911 dispatcher for a short time. well, I want to say a short time, nearly two years. And then I decided, okay, let me get out of Florida because of the hurricanes. We were just having a, a, having a lot of trouble with having, at this time three children in daycare and both of us are considered essential workers and we don't have any daycare I have to go to the call center and he has to go try to get water you know reestablish and things like that so it just became really tough after our support system a lot of people who were in the navy that we knew were now transferring duty stations and weren't able to provide us with that support so we were really down there by ourselves so it was it was really, really tough. I did go to, you know, the tap or whatever it's called after I got out. I had my resume. I felt like I interviewed well, like I presented myself. But, you know, times are a little bit different than they are now than they were then, because it was like 20 people going up for, I mean, probably even more than that at that time, going up for a position. And then, you know, it's different now. It's like, okay, nobody wants to work, or we can't find anybody to work in these positions. It was really tough to get another position. And I think having that military experience, though, with the county is what really. solidified my position is that they even in the job ad, they stated that someone who was a previous air traffic controller would be successful in that role. So I knew right then it would be great. But when I tell you, I'm glad that the cost of living is cheap in Florida because I was making peanuts compared to what I'm kind of making, you know, to what I'm making now. But I mean, we were able to survive while we were there. So I'm very thankful for that. But I did have a little bit of a hiccup. I won't say that it was, everything was peaches and cream when I got out of the Navy, because it was a really big change. You know, even after eight years to get out and think like, oh yeah, I'm, you know, I'm getting out. It's going to be, everything's going to be great. And then it's like, okay, I can't find a job. And that was one of the larger pieces. It was like, I can't find a job and and you just automatically think like I'm an air traffic controller. I have a degree. You know, I tried to network with people, but it was just like nothing was coming up. Nothing was spanning out. You know, they were looking for people who had retired from the Navy or had, you know, multiple CTOs or these qualifications or that qualification. And I just didn't have those things at the time.
0: Yeah, because we come from the air traffic control side in the military where we are, like you said, we're cocky. We're put on a pedestal. We're treated as, and it's, it's sad to say it, but we are treated better than most enlisted people in the military service as air traffic controllers because of the role that we play with mm-hmm. the enlist or the, the officer ranks. And so it's not easy when, cause you, you go out thinking you're going to get the same treatment. Like, Mm -hmm. it's cool. Like, I got all these certifications and, like, I've Mm -hmm. done all the research and I've spent the time in the resume and, like, we're all intelligent people as air traffic controllers. And then you go out into the real, like, the real world, I guess. The
2: real world. The Mm -hmm. real
0: world. And they're like, no.
2: We don't care about that.
0: (laughs) We don't care. care. I applied for an airfield management position in the Virgin (laughs) Islands. (laughs) and. I was the number I was the number two choice. You know who got the mm-hmm. job? This little shit that had a college degree and nothing else going on. And that was one of my first experiences with that. And that was a hard, hard pill mm-hmm. to swallow because yes. I'm like, I'm leaving North Island where I've been managing an airfield for over a year by myself. Mm-hmm. And we're not just talking military aircraft. We get civilian aircraft, we get presidential aircraft, we get dignitaries, we get sports teams, we get like we are managing an airfield so I come out and I'm like that's what I'm gonna do and I did all the things I was supposed to I joined the right associations I you know I mm-hmm. pre-did my resume and then I get mm-hmm. out and they were like no no I don't I don't, you know you know what you're doing but we're gonna take this kid that doesn't because he just graduated college right and you're like okay all right, it becomes over. a
2: slap in the face to where, yeah. again, you talk about that, you know, everybody could identify us in the A school setting because we wore dress shoes with our, you know, our utilities, you know, our yeah. we didn't have dungarees with our utilities. We wore our dress shoes, shined or uh chloroforms or whatever. And you really get a slap in the face to where you have that culture of like, okay, you are, I I, I use elite loosely, but, you know, we, we really had a lot of things, a lot of weight on our shoulders as air traffic controllers. I mean, we had a big, we had a lot of responsibility and we had a lot going on to where we felt like, you know, they instilled that confidence in us. That yeah. our instructors. They really did a great job in instilling that confidence in us. And even now, you know, even as a civilian, that confidence really carries over to where I make it to where nobody I'm irreplaceable mm-hmm. because I learned to work and how to present myself and how to promote myself from being in air traffic control. And I think that that's important. Absolutely,
0: it's crazy how even now. You know, I got out in 2011. So how many, I mean, how many years is that? 15 something? I don't know. Math. We all know math is not my spot, but (laughs) it's been a long time and I meet veterans now and they're like, they, they put immediately right back to that elite or that pedestal or that, you know, complex that was instilled to us in the military. It was instilled to them as well, because they immediately recognize as a veteran, that's been out of the military for 10, 15, 20 years, that you were an air traffic controller and that job was special. And mm-hmm. but then you once again
2: you go back out into the real world and they're like, and right. <laughs> we don't care. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, the only thing is there if I do when I do talk to people, they're like, I saw pushing 10. Yeah. So I, I completely know exactly what was going on. And I'm yeah. like,
3: Yeah,
2: oh, or so Billy Bob
0: Thornton. Okay. We think get Top Gun too. people. People don't realize what we do, and they're like, "Oh, you're those people on Top Gun." No, no, that's not us.
2: You're you're the people who are out there, like like waving them, you know, like you're out there, like just like saluting them as they're taking off. And I'm just like, no, no. that's not an air traffic controller. You're oh, you're the person that has the cones. Yeah, you know, no. you were the you were that person. I'm like, no, <laughs> that's not us. That person. <laughs>
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah, they they come around eventually. And I'm sure it has for you too led you to some interesting careers that you've mm-hmm. pursued or been able to pursue because of that.
2: What's the right word I'm looking for? We had a pretty good foundation as far as air yeah. traffic and control goes. Like the attention to detail. Yes. Um just being self-starters, being dedicated, being you know, the ability to see things through. And I think that's what pretty much made me successful in my civilian career, because primarily I've worked in community corrections. I've worked in jails. I've worked in prisons and just really as a case manager, primarily just to let people know, just how do you present yourself? How do you, you know, how do you work how do you look at things just that overall picture i think air traffic control really set that foundation to let me know like you know just interview skills how to teach you know teaching people life skills like it, it really it really had a big impact mm-hmm.
3: We would like to give a huge thanks to Rafa 180. Rafa 180 offers pure medicinal CBD and products made locally. They walk alongside individuals to achieve a healthy lifestyle with options needed by each person. You can learn more about them on Facebook at Rafa CBD, their website www.Rafa180.com or email at rafacbd@gmail.com. at gmail.com. They truly believe your journey matters.
2: How are you doing today? So, right now I am working for a nonprofit. So, over the last couple of years, I've been working in community corrections. I've been working in not necessarily a state prison, but a prison alternative, working with primarily female defenders initially as a case manager. And then I felt like I had a lot of clients that were leaving the correctional environment and they were having relapse very quickly after leaving. So I'm thinking, okay, was this something else that I could have gave them? Is there something, you know, what else could I be doing? And so I figured that I wanted to figure out that gap between individuals leaving a correctional environment, and going into the community what they needed help with. And so that landed me in reentry. And so right now I'm a re-entry case manager. I work at the safety center in the neighboring county. I work in the jail and also provide case management services for the local court. And I am a part of the drug court team And I am working with individuals at all stages. So I also run what we call a citizen circle. So that is for individuals that are formerly incarcerated. And we have a group of individuals that are so very passionate and they're very big advocates for individuals who are returning to society. So we are from various social service agencies and we just really look to kind of get them reconnected. We advocate for their rights. We connect them with children's services, with you know food assistance. Do they need health insurance? Do they need housing? Do they need transportation? So we look at anything that will be a barrier for that individual to be successful, and we try to remove those barriers. So, so I've been doing that.
0: You're giving them everything that we needed when we got out of the military.
2: Yes. Problem solving. That's what we do on a regular basis. <laughs> is problem solve. Like
0: We we probably all needed a case manager like you when we first stepped foot into civilian life. So I know mm-hmm. you're working on it on the other side of the the criminal system or the incarcerated or whatever, you know, because they it's almost like they're leaving the military as well in a different sense because mm-hmm. they're so structured in. A facility like that. So mm-hmm. it's the same thing. Like, you know, they don't have steady income, but they have three meals a day. Like, they know what their schedule is going to mm-hmm. be. And so when they leave, it's the same thing that we go through when we transition from the military. It's amazing that you're doing that work.
2: You're describing somebody that is institutionalized. Yeah. Is what you're describing. And so they definitely need a hand, regardless of what people's feelings of that may look like. You know, you have people who have committed offenses and they're a part of our society, whether we agree with what they did or not, they're in our society and they need help and to be productive. And from what I've gathered over the last couple of years on working with these individuals over the last seven years is that most of them want to do well is they really didn't have anybody to show them how to do it. So I just never assume that anybody knows how to schedule an appointment. You know, this person may have not even learned how to do laundry. And I think back to when we were in boot camp, just think about those p days. We were sitting there learning how to brush our teeth. We were sitting there learning how to iron our clothes. They taught us those particular things. And I'm just like, why? How to make a rack, how to fold your clothes, how to shine your shoes,
0: how Mm -hmm. to literally everything.
2: So we learned. When we had those wonderful Drill sergeants, as much as we love them, it's like, you know, it was that tough love they showed us. So, in a sense, I feel like I'm that person that shows the individual how they can be productive in a sense of what they feel is productive and not necessarily what society believes that is, you know, them as being productive. What are their particular goals? I like to take a person centered approach. What do they feel like they want to do?
0: Well, and some of those people getting out, that's all they need. Mm -hmm. That's all they need. And then you get them on the right track and then they're not as easily influenced to fall back into old habits because now mm-hmm. they know they know another path. But if you don't give them those resources and teach them those tools, then it's so easy for them to just go back to what they already know. And exactly. I agree with, with the path that you're taking for them, for sure, because I think that that's important. And like as, as a veteran getting out of the military, we spend our whole... I mean, some people get in, they do their two years or whatever, and they're out, and they still have time to figure that out. I was 28 years old when I got out of the military, and that's all I Mm -hmm. knew. I -hmm. went high school, military. Now I'm 28 years old, stumbling through life, trying to figure Mm -hmm. out how. I didn't know how health insurance worked. I didn't Mm -hmm. know how, like you said, job interviews worked. I'm overqualified for these jobs, but I don't necessarily know how to present myself to something to get the job that fits my qualifications. Mm -hmm. So if there was someone that was doing the work like you're doing, and I feel like there's a lot more people now that are doing it.
3: And Mm -hmm. I'm sure that
0: the ease of getting a podcast out there, social media, or all these nonprofits that are able to pop up now that weren't there when we got out makes it Mm -hmm. easier for people to get the education and the resources they need to do that. But when we got out, we didn't have any of that. Like, and there might have been some of that stuff out there, but it was hard to find, and it was not right. accessible. So we Mm-mm. had to figure it out. Yeah. And so for you to transition those skills into helping the people that you're helping now, that's
2: that's incredible. Well, thank you. It's that. I mean, it's no other way. I wish that I had. And I think about the times when I was in the military. Whenever you checked into a new duty station, what happened? You had somebody to show you around. Yeah. You had a mentor. You were a protege. You, you had know, a you sponsor had that saved. connected with you prior to arriving. So you knew what to expect. Right. And then you look at that and you connect that with maybe even, you know, because my, my particular degree is in addiction. What happens when you look at 12-step? You have people who are, you have a sponsor. Mm-hmm. So it's the same process and it's like, okay, I learned this in the military. I mean, it may it may not be the same particular situation to where you're serving your country, but it's still that same skill set that yeah. you're able to transfer. And I definitely th- am very thankful that I got all of these skills to really set me up for life, you know, and not even counting the benefits. You know, that I received, but just thankful that I was able to get those skills in order to share them with people because it's very, very important.
0: Absolutely. So, if you had advice for service members that are getting ready to transition out of the military Mm -hmm. or veterans that are struggling to find their way now, what advice would you give them?
2: So, I would definitely say reach out to your veteran services because there are numerous. Services that are out there. For one example, my husband and I fell on really hard times when our daughter was diagnosed with cancer. And so, you know, we were really proud. We were, you know, we we had transitioned from Pensacola. We moved back into moved back to Ohio. and, And shortly after we moved back to Ohio, our youngest child was diagnosed with cancer. And so that was just that just shook our world to the core. And so, you know, we were living. You know, about 45 minutes to an hour away from the children's hospital that we, you know, she was receiving treatment at. And then we ended up moving to Painesville, Ohio, to where, you know, to be quite frank, we were living in public housing. And I was able to, we were living off our savings and we were living in public housing. But what we were able to do is because I was a veteran, I was able to get a preference to move into this four-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath townhome. And so that allowed me to be placed in a situation to where, you know, I was able to access not only some county services, but I was connected with the Veterans, uh, veterans Society. Is I think it was the Veterans Service Commission. And so I met with a caseworker. You know, they kind of assessed what my needs were. And, you know, they were able to give us some, you know, food. They were able to give us some financial assistance as far as rent went. And it was a really big help because it was all of those years after being in the military, it was like, I still had that connection and that safety net from, you know, my military service. And so I was able to, you know, Unfortunately my, unfortunately, my daughter did pass away from cancer, but we were able to, you know, kind of get back on track. And as a result of getting that preference and living in public housing for a bit, we were able to save up a significant amount, save, and we were able to build a home. So it was a lot of different things, you know, and then I was able to use our, you know, use the veteran benefit in order to get a 2% interest rate on my home. You know, so, you know, I mean, even down to the license plates, you know, as a veteran, make sure you utilize your benefits in order education benefits. Right now I am able to pursue a doctorate degree. I am in my last class and I will be starting my, my dissertation in January, but not before I go to Bali and have a bit of relaxation. You need it after getting that close. You've been in school for a long time. A long time. So, (laughs) and, and the good thing about it is because I do have a rich uncle Sam, my rich uncle Sam was able to pay provide while I was in the military. I had my Um, tuition assistance in the military. And then afterwards I had my Montgomery GI Bill and that paid for my master's degree in the first year of my doctorate. And then now I am getting paid close to about $30,000 to earn a PhD. So it is important to utilize your veteran benefits to the max. And really research and find out what you're eligible for. I mean, this isn't just go get a free appetizer on Veterans Day. This is a lot of good veteran benefits, even transferring things over to your kids, healthcare, You have a lot of different things that you're able to get as a veteran. You should definitely, you know, be proud of the service that you provided to your country, regardless of what your job was or what you did. You serve selflessly in the military. Use that, you know, as Those something that you're are going out there. To, yes. Use and it to your benefit.
0: Like we touched on earlier, when we got out, it was not as easy to find that information. But now there's so many services and so many nonprofits and the VA has even come so far in the last mm-hmm. 10 years that yeah. it gives you a starting point to find the things that you need to be able to help you in your situation.
2: For sure. For sure. I, if I had it any other way, I would still do it the same way. I would definitely join the military. Now, what I get out? I, sometimes I think, cause you know, I think we passed our 20th year. Ugh. We just Care did. Our the- like our people that we joined
0: in <laughs> 2001 are celebrating their retirements now. And
2: uh-huh.
0: I'm, I've, I've got some feelings about that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm
2: just like, you know, I'm happy with the path that I took because, yeah. you know, it is what it is. But not kind of looking back, I was like, you know, especially those first couple of months after I got out, I was like, oh, is this really what I wanted to do? But, you know, once you were like, I could have been retired. that hits a little bit different when you're kind of looking at things and when you gotta when your alarm goes off in the morning this 21 years since you joined the navy you're like well wait a minute (laughs) i could could (laughs) have been (laughs) been (laughs) retired i I probably more than likely would have had another position but i feel like the way that the military set me up as far as education goes i'm able to really dictate What the rest of my life looks like in the same manner of those that retire. So I feel okay at this point. You know, probably not so much initially, but at this point I feel pretty good about the choice that I made.
0: Yeah, you've done a lot of you've done a lot since you've gotten out. So thank you. Sometimes I look at what you're doing
2: and I'm like, huh. I'm still a weird little hippie living in North Dakota, <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? And I'm and I'm looking at your life, like, baby, I need to be in North Dakota with my camper. Like, I, I need to have Amanda's life, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's always the grass is greener on the other side, absolutely. for sure, <laughs> absolutely. Like, I,
0: you know, and. And like you, like, I, I don't have any regrets. I've traveled mostly around the United States, but I've traveled all over the place and I've lived on my own terms and, and did the things I needed to do to get me here. So uh-huh. we'll, we'll see where the next 20 years takes us.
2: Yes, for sure. Definitely friends, though. We, hey, we're
0: hey, we still rolling.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Ebony yeah. Ivory.
0: Yes. Forever. Forever. That's And I, Amber and I talk about this a lot about being in the military and people assume because we're doing this podcast that we're best friends and we will tell you all day long, we are not best friends, but (laughs) we are forever friends. Forever friends. Forever Mm -hmm. friends because like we do our own thing. Like I don't have to talk to her every day. She doesn't have to talk to me every day. We see what's going on on social media. Like we... I mean, before we started doing this podcast and then we were both put in, in Texas, like the universe brought us together pretty close in Texas. So we, we like reconnected, but before that, you know, like we, we knew what each other were up to, but the mm-hmm. same as know. with you. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah I think know. those are the best friendships though, because Absolutely. you can just reconnect and just like no time has ever passed Absolutely. You can just start exactly where You're you picked up. Those are the most genuine friendships. And those are the ones that I really yeah. adore.
0: Yeah. Where, you, where you're where you looking at your friend and you're like, you know what? They're doing real good right now. Mm-hmm. And you're just proud of them. Like watching from the right. Way, like, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. So if our listeners would like to reach out to you and get some of the information you have about the education programs or just to to chat with you in general, where can they find you?
2: So I am on Facebook primarily, and I consider myself to be a, I wouldn't say an influencer, <laughs> but I do have a professional page. <laughs> um, I'm an avid gardener. So I really like to just really promote people to be self-sufficient. That's my primary thing. I mean, I just feel like that's just the case manager in me. Mm-hmm. I always want people to like grow your own garden. I know people like, girl, move. I want to grow tomatoes, but still like grow something you know like i just want people to be i just want it to be back to our roots you know just like just i don't know that's just me being being funny but i am on facebook and it's just my first name erin my last name before marriage williams and then my married name munasomi And then on Instagram, I'm Zaria's mom. That's my baby that passed away from cancer. So if you can donate to leukemia awareness, that will be important too.
0: And I will put both of those into our show notes. So that way you don't have to guess on how to spell (laughs) Aaron's last name. I said it once and I got it right. So we're going to do that record. That's it.
3: It was perfect. um,
0: (laughs) She asked me when we started if I knew how to say it. And I said, yes, Williams. (laughs) All right, Erin, thank you so much for joining us today, and we have loved having you on as our guests.
2: Thank you for having me, ladies.
1: And as always, the reason why Amanda and I started this podcast was to not only share veteran stories and to network with other veterans. But to bring about the fact that 22 veterans kill themselves every day. And 22 is 22 too many. One is too many. And you are never alone. Veterans drinking vodka. Cheers.